Thank y'all for being here. Uh, so this morning we're going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the cops or the Coptic um, Christians. Well, first of all, this is this is the best part of my week. This is a portrait miniature I bought a couple of weeks ago on eBay by John Ramage, who painted um, George Washington's first presidential portrait. So these things show up on eBay. This is how I make my living. <laughs> so I bought this for $329 and sold it this week for $13,000. So. Wow. Thank you. Wow. We'll see if that shows up in the offering plate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, the, that's a total brag. So... Uh, all right, so uh, I'm horrible with geography. Yeah. Why didn't you bring donuts to class? Yeah. <laughs> I was running a little late this morning. Yeah. I also just got my got my computer back. It's been gone. Those of you who were class last week, I used my wife's computer, but it's been it's one of those take it in, has a bad speaker. You know, we'll get it back to you in three days. It took eleven days to get my computer back, so I just got it back yesterday. So. Uh, it's amazing how much we use them and don't realize it until they're gone, right? Um, anyway, yeah, terrible with uh, geography. Kevin is great with geography. That's why he's volunteered this morning to talk a little bit about Northern uh, African. Uh, but here's a map kind of the spread of Christianity. When we say uh, the Copts or the Coptic um, uh, people, we're talking about an ethno-religious group of people from uh, the northern Africa region it pretty much traditionally believed that um, or at least they say tra traditionally that the gospel was brought um, uh, to Alexandria which is you know the city a coastal uh, port city uh, just very close to Cairo so that's in northern um, that's a Ah, this is terrible map. <laughs> I don't know. What it is. So right here you have Alexandria, and right here you kind of have Cairo. Uh, and so Christianity is thought traditionally to have been brought to them by uh, the evangelist Mark uh, shortly after the resurrection in 42. So we're talking about very early um, Christian uh, group of people, and Christianity grew really rapidly uh, in that part of Africa. Um, uh, and Armenia, you can see outside the, the the dark line is kind of the bounds of the empire, the Roman Empire. Remember we talked last week about the, or was it last week we talked about the king of Edessa uh, and the kind of early Christian, non-Roman Empire, uh, Christian state. It's kind of uh, in this outside of the bounds, kind of in that part of Turkey, extreme western part of Turkey. Um, so yeah they were a big big Christian uh, group Cairo Ethiopia uh, Egypt uh, are parts of uh, northern Africa uh, kind of where the empire was or where the empire's boundaries were that's where Christianity spread to and uh, it was uh, hugely popular until uh, kind of the Islamic uh, spread of Islam and conquering by um, Islam in around 640 or 645 or so. It is worth noting though that um, Christians and Muslims in that region 
as in many regions during uh, the 7th, 7th, 8th century, all the way up to the First Crusades, lived in relative peace and proximity to one another. Uh, they uh, were classified as basically state patrons of the Islamic State. Like Jews and Christians both kept their religious communities in close proximity to the Islamic State. They had to pay a tax that all non-Muslim groups of people had to pay, but they were still under the protection, military protection of the Islamic State. That's really a lot of the animosity that we seem to, uh, that we associate with Islam and Christianity, we think they've always battled it out. And certainly, uh, you know, when you, those lands were conquered, uh, there was some resistance, but it was not really the populace that were resisting them. In other words, Islam kind of overtook as a military state Northern <coughs> Africa without a whole lot of bloodshed. And you didn't have mass executions or any of that kind of stuff. So what we normally associate with the violence um, and Christians and Muslims not getting along kind of started um, in the with the early Crusades and through kind of the Crusades. I'm not blaming it on the Crusaders. <laughs> I'm just saying a lot of the a lot of the trouble started then. Uh, anyway, it's worth noting. Uh, let's see. So Alexandria, uh, as you know, what is Alexandria usually associated with in terms of ancient history? Library. That's right. If, does anybody have a library card from? the library in Alex. I'm just kidding. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, so there was a, it was a great knowledge, and in fact, probably considered uh, the greatest center of scholarly knowledge in the ancient world. Um, some of, and then what happened to the library of Alexandria? Alexandria? Burned, right. Her Raiders of the Lost Ark, or whatever. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. There was a huge library there. Uh, it, nobody knows how big. Nobody knows when it burned. Uh, in fact, it probably burned several times and was destroyed over a uh, course of of uh, many years. Um, but there was a great. It was it was a Christian scholarly city as well. After uh, kind of Christianity came to town. That's where Origen was. Origen, one of the great writers and uh, early Christian fathers. Um, Many of the big schisms that we've talked about over the last uh, couple of of weeks kind of had their scholarly origin there in the city of Alexandria. Um, Yeah, so there's our map. Um, Anyway, the earliest kind of Christian art that we see coming out of kind of that region is heavily influenced by this these Fayum first first century BC first century AD Egyptian art, uh, which of course is in turn heavily influenced by Greek uh, portrait art. We don't we know that's true, but we don't, we don't have really any surviving uh, portraits from that from the from the Greek period like this. These panels, this is encaustic, 
uh, which is basically melted wax with pigment uh, in it. It's a really interesting method of painting. Does, he, does Chad, you wanna, <laughs> have you ever done it? Emily, have you ever done encaustic? Yeah. You can still do it. You can go to the art store now and buy beeswax and encaustic and the little hair dryer thing to melt it. So people still do amazing kind of uh, panel painting like this. Uh, but it's it's really if you contrast this art, uh, th these portraits, uh, kind of in the context of uh, the the really rudimentary or naive art uh, that we've seen, uh, it's pretty hyper realistic, right? You have larger than normal eyes anatomically, uh, but you have very um, very realistic modeling uh, and shadow uh, shadowing things like that now this obviously isn't as detailed as that but the influence is still there relative to some of the other uh, art we see so again uh, kind of the earliest uh, art we have coming out of that area is is late fifth early sixth century um, this is Saint uh, Menace, you might know, and Jesus with his hand over his shoulder. It's awesome, holding the gospel, decorated gospel book. Um, you might know the story of Menace. Is that right? He's the. Uh, you've heard if you've heard Lee Camp talk about uh, military uh, uh, martyrs. He was kind of the first. Uh, he was a Roman. Uh, Roman Egyptian provincial Roman soldier who uh, converted to Christianity and then refused to recant and was martyred uh, early on. Uh, so it's a popular saint because of his uh, ethnic origin or because of the proximity where it happened. Right. You see, yeah. What, what point did books like take off from scrolls? Uh, that's a good, good century yeah 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 it depends on the region um, that you're you're talking about um, I mean in the Egyptian reason region or uh, northern Africa you still had a lot of uh, papyrus um, availability they were just used to using it so the 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 transfer into bound, you know, kind of books on vellum and bound books. I, you well, know, the depends early on their in this period is illustrated as later on in the Middle Ages. I'm sorry. Were there as many illustrations? Were these illustrated? Do we know the early? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the book that he's holding, like a, a gospel book, we'll get like that. Uh, we'll get to in a second, which are these illuminated manuscripts. Where this is kind of the very beginning of the illuminated manuscript uh, in the sixth or seventh century, but. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not a deep scholar, I don't have deep scholarship on kind of the history of the scrolls for, I, th I think it does depend very much on the region. Um, this is an awesome early, early, um, church mural, um, painting of, uh, from, Cairo, uh, church in Cairo, and it's pretty awesome because the they all look ethnic. They all look properly ethnic, re reflecting 
their idea of Jesus and his apostles. Um, pretty wild. Come on. What, any comments on that? They look like from deeper in Africa. Yeah. I guess. I don't I don't know what. Yeah. It's interesting to debate the kind of look ethnic uh, look of Jesus and the apostles, but um, this is one of the earliest really high quality the 6th century uh, Coptic portrait of Jesus. This is very starts to look very familiar because it looks a lot like kind of the Eastern Orthodox tradition or, or the high Byzantine period uh, kind of adopted this form. A lot of the portraits you see in the later 9th, 10th, and 11th century in kind of the uh, Orthodox uh, Eastern Church have this look to it, Jesus holding the, the gospel book um, bound. And this kind of format of the book he's holding that has that's jeweled, uh, it will we'll start seeing showing up next week in the kind of Celtic, uh, early Anglo-Saxon, uh, early medieval illuminated manuscripts as well. But you can see how incredibly influence the early I mean we're talking about uh, eight centuries removed from Egyptian uh, panel or Fayum painting uh, and you can see how amazingly uh, influenced uh, and realistic this portrait is uh, by comparison yeah. realistic except it wouldn't yeah. be open book. yeah that's right well the Jesus who is ever present uh, in, in, in their context. Uh, and of course, that's highly symbolic. You know, Jesus, um, the, the portrait itself represents the, uh, the sacredness of the gospel. And, and again, as we see uh, starting in kind of the 6th, 7th, 8th, on through the, the early medieval period the sacredness of the gospels uh, the written word uh, the canon becomes uh, becomes prominent in, in Christian art art and the written word began to collide here in the 6th and 7th century this is the earliest um, gospel it's called the Garama gospel and this is an Ethiopian uh, Ethiopian uh, gospel book Anybody recognize that language? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. The Coptic, uh, the Cop Coptic itself, that or the word Copt comes from kind of a uh, derision of, uh, or it's a version of the word that means uh, popular Egyptian religion. I mean, popular Egyptian language. Uh, so the people are kind of named for the language itself. This is an early example, or this is one of the few examples of uh, surviving versions of that language. Later developed into the uh, Giez uh, language, which is comes from this. It's just still used, by the way. I'll show you a version of... Uh, it was used all the way up 18th century. You see a version of this language, written language, and then even today, uh, you see kind of a version of this kind of hieroglyphic-looking uh, popular Egyptian language. Um, and of course, this is on 
Bellum very early. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about illuminated manuscripts next week, uh, kind of the purpose of why, you know, wh why you have these uh, depictions or portraits uh, in, uh, in the gospel books. Um, but you can obviously note right away that, that um, you know, there are several narrative purposes to having images or full scenes illustrated within a gospel book. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, what's well, for people who didn't read, you know, it was a narrative. This is what's going on. It's kind of a, but that's doesn't quite make, uh, as we'll find, uh, a lot of sense. Because people who didn't read usually didn't have these books. <laughs> books, of course, are very expensive to produce in the ancient world, uh, all the way through the 18th century. So uh, most, <coughs> most. Uh, People who had access to them, they were generally literate. There's another, uh, some other pages from it. I don't know what the lists are. I, I meant to make note of that. Usually, when you see a list under uh, columns or something like that, it's usually a genealogy, or usually it's a list of saints' days. Which this is too early for that, so that's not what it would be. I have to check on that. Beautiful books. And then you have uh, 18th century version of that. Uh, this is, again, the Gia's language, which uh, you still see. You go on eBay and search Coptic uh, gospel page or something. You can buy these. They, they were really, really mass-produced in the 19th century. I don't know what the historical correlation between how popular they became kind of the late 18th century, early 19th century. I'm sure there is a historical correlation there, but I'm not familiar enough with the history to be able to nail that. But you can see it, it has... Um, uh, the, the art itself is a little... Because they're more mass-produced, they weren't maybe as uh, artistically refined or nuanced, but um, certainly has a African feel to it doesn't uh, and then you have uh, this 1977 and this style of art has been pretty consistent throughout history uh, and and art is still very much important to the um, to Coptic Christians Coptic Christians this is 2015 does anybody know what that is Those are the 21 uh, Libyan Coptic martyrs that the uh, Islamic State beheaded on the beach. You guys remember that? Uh, there's a church actually in Libya that's been dedicated. It was dedicated, I think, in 2015. Um, to the church, a church dedicated, just built and dedicated for those 21 martyrs. And this was the um, wall painting. Mural that was commissioned inside the church. You can see the angels bringing the crowns. Uh, yeah, very significant still. Uh, that the, the tradition of art and the symbolism and the honoring of the saints uh, that that was uh, uh, very important to the Coptic Church. Maybe even more so to, to the Catholic Church. 
we're going to watch a video in just a minute uh, that kind of is a, uh, it's about 10 minutes, but it kind of, it's a uh, kind of an overview or kind of a tour of a of church in Cairo and then a museum, kind of a museum tour that talks about the Fayum paintings and things like that, but uh, any questions or comments? Did the belief behind it, you know, these uh, iconography wasn't just symbolism, but an actual window between heaven and earth? Was yeah. that always the way it was from the earliest, or did it develop as different theologies developed? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, obviously that depends on the geographical area and the culture that's that's involved. Some cultures tended to, you know, that never was a problem in the Eastern Orthodox Church. You know, the problem we had in the wet, or problem that uh, the whole iconoclast thing that happened with, is the, is the image sacred itself? Is it a, you know, access point to the divine? Uh, I mean, the Eastern Orthodox Church had just, was just as much into imagery and icons as the Western Church, but they never had that problem. They they really held a balance between it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, it is a symbolic way of honoring and devotional, you know, conduit. You know, what other what other kind of mystical uh, or divine assignments we make to the icons, we're okay with the mystery of that. Western church got all uptight about it. And of course that and then I, I don't know enough about Coptic art to know if that was ever I can't imagine that it wasn't at the center of some debates because so many of those debates were happening uh, in and around uh, Alexandria that 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 uh, but in terms of the popular use of the iconic uh, icons I'm I'm not sure I could answer that anybody else know yeah. oh a question <laughs> Uh, so if you say, if you're talking about a Coptic Christian church now, mm -hmm. so where are those generally, are they still generally located in? Yeah, well, the, so the, the Coptic Orthodox Church uh, started, like it was founded in Alexandria, mm -hmm. so supposedly by Mark. Uh, but then a lot, there are a lot of people in the region, like in Turkey and Libya, uh, that I talked about, uh, who, who basically are... Orthodox, uh, Coptic Orthodox uh, church adherents. It's that spread, but they still kind of have. It's like, you know, if the Methodist Church started here, there are a bunch of Methodists over here, but they're still Methodists. They're still tied to that Orthodox tradition. There have been over the you know centuries, but like the Ethiopian uh, Orthodox Church is slightly different, but it is it derived from um, from the. Uh, Coptic Orthodox Church in Alexandria. Um, some, somebody else may be more familiar with that. I don't know. No, sure. uh, you'll see in, in Coptic homes here in Nashville, um, a lot of times as soon as you walk in, there will be an icon there. Yes. Strictly Orthodox one. Um, it, if someone Orthodox comes over, they will read the icon before they greet the host. Yes. And do those icons change depending on the? I think it's just what you got access to. Oh right, like in the Catholic, they're they're Catholic families. I know they have a patron saint. You know that they're yeah. uh, they have a particular. You a, know, a minister tried to learn from one of the 
There is. There's a what? Saint Venus. Oh, really? That's so cool. I, I don't. I, I wish I knew more about the Coptic population there in Nashville. Um, yeah, they're pretty cool. I got a lot of them when I was working midnights because they were coming home from like a lot of them working either Opryland or yeah. Tyson Chicken Factory, and they'd be coming home. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I hope that answered some of uh, your question. Uh, let's watch this video. Y'all are cool with that, or at least uh, part of it. Yeah, it's a great place to stop. I have to refresh. Sometimes it takes a minute to catch up. Uh-oh. I know. Spinning wheel of death. <laughs> Who said that? Here we go. Come on. What do you think so far? <laughs> Times like this, I just want to hold Eric Livingston responsible for everything. <laughs> I mean, how hard is it? How hard is it to play a video in class yeah. when it appears to be loading? There, here we go. Here we go. Thank you. One, two, three, go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the expression of joy. Thank you very much. During times of persecution, the extreme joy offered by that faith is often in my hand. A people only five million strong, the Copts never inherited all built an empire, unlike the Christians of Byzantium or Rome. And while most of the time they've been tolerated and often flourished under first Byzantine and then Islamic rulers, they've never felt complete themselves. Even today. And so their churches, including this one, famous Queen Church in Coptic Cairo, are nothing like grand berserkers or cathedrals, but are hidden and vain, intimate, almost only. They feel like sanctuaries, hiding places, where you can truly feel the spirit of the saints. Saints who were as real today to the Copts as when they lived hundreds of years ago. The 
best place to see the art this intense spirituality has produced is the Coptic Museum. Its sprawling collection reflects nearly 2,000 years of Coptic history, going all the way back to the founding of the church in Egypt in the first century, traditionally by Sibarak himself. The private place goes to this 4th century version of the Psalms of David in the Coptic language, the earliest the only complete manuscript of the Psalms. I think this battered book, it looks like it's an object that survived from a fire. It's a symbol not just of how the Egyptians still treasure the relics of early Coptic Christianity, but I think it's also a symbol for me of the Coptic art tradition as a whole, because it is a battered tradition, a tradition that's had to live through persecution, through the migration of populations. It's amazing the way anything survives at all. But here in the Coptic Museum, we can experience that tradition, albeit only in fragments, rather like the pages of this battered book. But we can see just what an extraordinary art tradition resulted from it. To the Copts, just as precious as the word is the image. In another room, I found the earliest surviving wall painting from the 6th century. Coptic art's a reminder of just how much can be achieved within a simplified style. What strikes me about well, apart from just these very vivid faces, is the intimacy of the scale. And these really are images designed for one-to-one -one contemplation, and images that I think were in the monastic cells. Um, although you couldn't describe them as masterpieces, they have got this tremendously vivid... I meant to say, I did mention, meant to mention uh, kind of the, this area that we're talking about is kind of the origin of the monastic tradition. Like uh, the, the great desert kind of monastics at the very uh, beginning uh, of that tradition kind of its origin is kind of in this area so a, a lot of this art that you see are like that those little kind of sconce looking things that have been extracted from a wall it was a monastic cell um yeah if you know I mean, those of you who are experts on the monastic tradition know about this area of the world as well Picasso would have called it I suppose primitive power in fact this scene of the Madonna suckling the infant Christ has got something of Picasso about it it's it's such a primal image of the, of the basic act of a woman suckling her child, but also an image of the way in which the Christian faith is, is nourishing the people who sustain it. Perhaps the most striking thing about Coptic art is the way in which the artists represent these eyes, these extraordinary staring eyes, often with the white which you can see all the way around them. And there's something peculiarly transfixing about their gaze. It's, it's not a gaze that addresses you, it doesn't look at you, it seems to look through you. And you have this very strong sense that these people, perhaps like those who worship before them, are fixed on the idea and the image, not of this life, but of the life to come. The Coptic art tradition is essentially mysterious. 
So much has been lost during centuries of persecution and destruction that it's all but impossible to piece together the different stages of its development. But there is some intriguing evidence to suggest where its earliest origins lie. But for that, I had to leave old Cairo and travel across town to the modern city. Left, left. I've been granted an appointment by the art historian who was in charge of all the museums and antiquities in Egypt, and I definitely didn't want to be late. But the driver seemed to have other ideas. I'm not sure I'm still in Cairo. We want the museum. This is in the Cairo, right Cairo. Eventually we arrived. We arranged to meet at the Egyptian Museum, one of the great museums of the world. Thank you very much for here. It's famous for its grand collection of the funerary art of ancient Egypt, which, with its own cult of the afterlife, suggests why Christianity found fertile ground here. There's even evidence to suggest a direct connection between the art of ancient Egypt and the art of Coptic Christianship. In the rather neglected Room 14, there are some extraordinary works of art which seem to hit at just such a missing link. Discovered near the oasis town of Fayoum, these portraits date from the 1st to the 3rd centuries AD and the Roman occupation of Egypt. They were originally pasted to the faces of mummies a late expression of the pharaonic belief in resurrection of the soul. Yet their style anticipates the vivid Coptic depiction of Christ and his apostles. It's almost certain that these paintings were done by Greeks. Now, throughout ancient literature, we read about the great Greek tradition of painting, but because painting is so fragile, None of the great pictures of Apelles or Pausanias or any of the great famous Greek artists mentioned by Pliny in his natural history, none of those works survived. And until the early 20th century, when most of these were discovered, it was thought that, in fact, the entire Greco-Roman tradition of painting was lost. But here, in the bastard rump of empire in Egypt, at the end of the Pharaonic period, you've got Greek artists who are still using the techniques of the great ancient Greek painters I wonder if it wasn't the community of Greek artists in Egypt who were given the responsibility of creating early Christian art. And I wonder if, in effect, Coptic Christian art's great legacy for Christian art as a whole is that it preserves intact that line of connection from the ancient Greek painting traditions into the modern Christian traditions of painting. I wanted to try out my theory on the life. Look at Anybody know this noise. guy? It's like he's a huge celebrity. He has a, several shows, but he's about yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. You can show me. Hey, just so here's a a mummy. This is a surprise to me. With the kind of, and you can see the face, the, the painting that's in. Oh, that there may be a better. And they have the face above that. I haven't seen this before. Yeah, so you can see kind of the the.
contextualize what those paintings for the uh, portrait of the living person uh, placed in kind of this cutout where the mummy was and it looks when you see them intact it looks really uh, really interesting this this is what I talked about several weeks ago about the work that the people at the Getty have done trying to make this connection between kind of the volume uh, portrait paintings and early Christian uh, icon are those yeah, it's both. I think because there are there are portraits. I mean, kind of in the same um, ge uh, geographical and time period of like the king or the king and his family or the magistrate and his family that were very obviously not memorial. They were commissioned. I mean, they were decorative art. But by the same painters, they would paint these kind of, I don't, probably post-mortem portraits. Uh, I can't imagine that they would paint and say, this is going to be my, you know, it, it could, I guess. That we just don't know enough to know about when the portrait was commissioned, the reason it was commissioned, other than the context in which they were found. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, the, the yes, the, the two finger blessing uh, was was a part of the lit, uh, liturgy, and then I mean it was it, it was uh, contemporary. Um, like I don't I don't it was part of the early liturgy, and so the icons were painted in the form that Christ is participating in the liturgy, uh, giving the sign of the cross and the blessing and all of that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. That sounds great. Hey, you're Episcopal. You can tell us. <laughs> you know more about all that. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Fascinating stuff. I wish. I really wish. I, and I'd like to know more about uh, this area of art. I just haven't. I haven't done a lot of work. I've never obviously uncovered uh, anything that, uh, from this area uh, area of the world. Unlike. Europe. So. Anyway, so next week we'll get into the early Anglo-Saxon Celtic kind of tradition uh, of illuminated manuscripts and um, all of that, which is something I do know about. So I'll bring, I'll bring some examples of that that we can pass around. So you'll get the handle. Come next week, you'll get the handle a thousand-year-old book page. So thanks for being here. Yeah.